This is Shine On, the health and happiness show, with new episodes every week on how to live well. Shine On is heard all over the world as a podcast, but it's heard first on the radio in New York's Hudson Valley. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you for tuning in to Shine On. Can your brain be trained? Mike Cohen at the Center for Brain Training wrote the book Neurofeedback 101, Rewiring the Brain for ADHD, Anxiety, and Depression Without Medication. What is it? It is really fundamentally a gym for the brain. So think of it as you go to the gym, you work out, you pump your muscles, you pump weights, and you strengthen them, right? Mm -hmm. Your muscles get stronger. How do I strengthen my brain? How do I make circuits in my brain? How do I make the activity in my brain function better so that I can perform better, that I can sleep better, that I can pay better attention, that I can be more calm? All those things, in other words, those are brain things. Is there a gym that allows you to change those things and strengthen them? That's what neurofeedback fundamentally is. It's really a gym. It'll let you do some amazingly good improvements to things that people struggle with simply because they didn't have a tool that helped them change it. Right. What is this tool? So the tool is, I mean, the way it works in really simple terms is you put using a computer sensors on your head. So I'm going to use it to measure your brain waves. That's mm-hmm. not the only way, but that's one of the main ways. I'm going to measure your brain waves. You don't feel your brain waves, right? Right. No. Okay. So if I wanted you to strengthen, for example, the brainwave activity over your temporal lobes. Your temporal lobes play a big role in emotional balance, in emotional evenness, in not getting triggered and not getting irritable and not getting excessively emotional or angry. All that is part of your temporal lobes, which is above your ears. So if you think of right above your ears, near the temple, the temporal lobes. So I'm gonna put sensors over those areas And I'm going to measure the brain activity, which you can't feel, because so you need a special piece of gym equipment to tell you when you're making more or less because you can't, you can feel your muscles, you can't feel your brain. So I got to have something that tells you, okay, I'm doing it, I'm making more, I'm not, I'm doing it, I'm not, I'm doing it, I'm not. And so this equipment measures what your brain is doing and helps you practice making more of certain patterns that help, for example, strengthen the part of your emotional control and emotional circuits that may not be working quite as well as they should. We're talking to Mike Cohen. He wrote the book Neurofeedback 101, Rewiring the Brain for ADHD, Anxiety, Depression, and Beyond Without Medication. Uh, Michael Cohen, I do believe my husband would be so happy if you adjusted my temporal lobes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I have to tell you, I I don't get it. So when you put that instrument on, it's just measuring or it's also uh, stimulating? So let's think about for a second what weights do. You're lifting weights. What do the weights do to you? They, Nothing. They, they don't do anything to me? No. You pushing against them. Right. Right. So you're engaging in the activity and that's what strengthens strengthens you. If I put sensors over your head, so these are sensors, ele- electrodes. I'm measuring your the electrical activity in your brain. If you go to a neurologist, they put sensors on people's heads to measure for, you know, if somebody has seizures. We're not talking about that. We're talking about let's measure the electrical activity 
so that we can help you create a better pattern in your brain. And you have to learn that, just like if I learn math, I have to keep working at it until I learn it. If I put sensors over your head, it's connected to a computer, and the computer you're watching, let's say, a Pac-Man game. And the Pac-Man goes whenever your brain's making more of the activity that we know helps even you out. Or you're watching a movie, and the movie fades out every time your brain's not quite doing the right thing. And as soon as your brain starts doing the right thing, you get to see the movie. You can see it clearly. Okay, so, how, how do I move my brain muscles? Have you ever been on a balance board, for example? You know, one of those things at the gym, mm-hmm. you get on it, you, mm-hmm. and the first thing you do is you flip over, and then you get a little shaky, and then eventually you learn to balance. How did you learn to do that? Uh, muscle memory. My, my core muscles just figured out a way for me not to fall. But it's really your brain learning to balance. Oh. It's not just your muscles. It's your brain. If I told you to raise your arm above your head, of course you can do that. But if I said, how did you do that? I don't know. Well, actually, you intended for your arm to go up, and somehow your brain figured out, I didn't have to say move my muscles. I just said, somehow I want my brain to, arm to go above my head, and it does, and my brain figures it out. So your brain is constantly figuring out how to solve problems, how to balance on a board, how to balance on a bike, and how to make the activity. In other words, I'm going to tell your brain, this is what you're doing. You're doing it, you're not doing it. You're doing it, you're not doing it. And your brain quickly figures out, because your brain figures out things for a living figures out patterns, it figures out how to make the pattern better. Okay, so I'm in your office, you've got me hooked up, I can see the computer, it's showing me a wonderful picture, and then the picture goes away, and I say I intend for that picture to come back, and somehow my brain knows what to do to make it come back? Absolutely. This is awesome, and I left out an adjective. (laughs) Well, I'm going to back up slightly. Go. So it's not that you just say... I'm going to intend this to happen because, you know, that balance board example or riding on a bike? Mm-hmm. Or, but, so you're on the balance board, you're tipping over. Do you intend for it to just get better and you balance? Well, you yeah. intend it, but you don't first have that happen. You're not very good at it. You have to actually practice to get good at it. Mm-hmm. You have to practice to help your brain learn to get better at a pattern. We have to practice to help our brain get better at a pattern. Okay, I get that, and that's what like our affirmations are for, to, you know, to, to put down a bedrock of beliefs. So why is it different than affirmations? When you're doing affirmations, you're trying to get yourself into a state of intention that allows things to happen. Mm-hmm. So in a way, I did describe this as intention. But there's there's a difference. You have a sensor that's telling you instantly when you are doing it and not doing it. And that instant feedback is actually what makes this type of training so powerful. It's really a physical exercise for your brain. You just didn't have a way to do that. And you could do affirmations all day long, and that might not help you do better on a balance board. (laughs) You know, you have to essentially learn that task. This is physically helping your brain patterns strengthen and become more efficient at doing different things. So there's patterns that play a role in emotions, like I described. But there's other patterns that help you sleep. There's patterns that help you focus and pay attention and get stuff done. And then we all have the, well, many people have the racy brain pattern where they can't stop their brain. Mm. And they're really good at that. So how do you all of a sudden learn to not do that. And some of these people have tried meditation a lot. I'm sure you work with some where they've tried meditation. They go, I can't meditate. My brain just races. Right. This 
gives you the ability to target that area and strengthen the circuit that's supposed to say, okay, now quiet your mind. Wow. But we need the equipment. What is there any other way to learn these patterns? Well, you teach many ways to learn these patterns. When you have equipment that tells you exactly what your brain is doing moment by moment, you frankly just learn a whole lot faster. Mm-hmm. So I've had people who spent years in therapy, in doing meditations, in doing yoga, in doing many, many things. To, they worked really hard at quieting their mind and helping their mind be more balanced. And in five or ten sessions sometimes, they would go, oh, my God, this is what I've been trying to get to for years. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the heavy-duty training equipment for the brain. You want to really get there. This will help you get there faster. And then often I tell people, once you're able, for example, to get that part of your brain that races to quiet down or that part of the brain that wakes you up in the middle of the night and you now can't fall asleep, if you can get those parts of the brain functioning better, now yoga and meditation and other types of healing modalities, you can build on that much better. Can you tell the story about your dad? The reason I got into this, I actually came from high tech, and my dad had severe what was then called agitated depression. I now know that that was, they now call that psychotic depression. But he was someone that when he was good, he was great, and he went 10, 15 years with no problem. But when I was, uh, when my brother was born, I was seven, he went to the psych hospital for electroshock therapy because he got this extraordinary agitation and overwhelm and the electroshock therapy, and this was back in the you know early 60s, um, was used to help him reset his brain. Mm. And then 10, 15 years later, he had another episode and that happened. Well, when I was in my 40s, he had another episode. Actually, that's how I got into our feedback. I didn't know about it. He had this episode, but he was seeing the head psychiatrist at Vanderbilt Medical School uh, in Tennessee. All the meds didn't work. They tried shock therapy. It didn't work. I started digging and researching what else could be there. That's when I found out about neurofeedback. Somehow I came across it before the internet even really was out there showing this stuff. So it was a psychiatrist who said, oh, you ought to check this thing out. And I did. I contacted people all over the country who were doctors using it already. There weren't that many. I got them on the phone and they said, oh, this actually works. So I convinced my mom to take my dad to the closest place to us, which was two hours north of Atlanta and six hours away from where they lived in Tennessee. Mm. So they stayed there for 10 days. I somehow convinced her, but she was pretty desperate. He was in a extreme agitated state. You ever seen somebody who's pacing up and down and their mm. hands, they're gnashing their hands and for hours and hours and hours a day. He couldn't think. He, you couldn't have a conversation with him. He couldn't watch TV. He couldn't read. And this is an incredibly bright man. Mm. And he was just consumed. I couldn't even have a conversation with him. So she took him up and he was there doing two sessions a day. And I went up on the sixth day because I was working in Atlanta at the time. And I went up on the sixth day and I walked into the center and he was sitting there and he turns around to me, my dad, and says, hey, Mike, how's it going? I was like, well, that's different. We haven't had that. That that has not happened. That was the beginning of really seeing him switch. And I'm like, he's been through ECT. He's seen the best psychiatrist at Vanderbilt Medical School. 
what is this? Hmm. I mean, it was kind of hard to believe, frankly. I ended up helping the guy there to say, you know, this needs to be known more, and then eventually quit my high-tech job to start helping. We opened a center in Atlanta so people could have access to it. That's what happened. And for me, I asked the people who, there's a course, and I said, look, can I come to the course? They said, yes, usually we don't have non-professionals come, but you can come. Well, I fixed all their computers during the first course. (laughs) And um, I said, look, can I come to all your courses? They taught them all around the country if I fix your computers. So I ended up going to about 15 courses in two years. I partnered with the guy who helped my my, uh, dad, and we built the center, and ultimately the company partnerships don't always work out. The company ended up asking me to come work with them and help teach neurofeedback to psychiatrists, to psychologists, to therapists. So that's how I got into it. I've seen so many really caring health professionals because that's who's attracted to it, people who want to go the next step for their patients. That's who likes to get this and say, I need to do something more. And frankly, unfortunately, it's not everybody uh, by any stretch. That's what happened. We helped teach several thousand health professionals around the country. Of course, that's a drop in the bucket. Hopefully, more and more of them are learning to use this as a tool for their for patients. But now there are even home units. So we have people who we help support them at home to do it. So you need some supervision. You need to know what you're doing. But the technology has gone down in pr- price and is much more accessible. So there are a whole lot more people starting to learn about it because who doesn't know somebody who's either depressed or irritated or gets emotionally triggered or wakes up in the middle of the night or has a hard time falling asleep or just is fuzzy-brained. All right, well, I find this all fascinating and wonderful, and I appreciate you, your book, Neurofeedback 101. So uh, this would be a great place to start, and uh, you're not near us. Do you know if you have any any uh, associates in the Northeast? Oh, there are lots. I mean, Boston, New York City, Westchester, a lot of cities now have at least one person. If they just type neurofeedback in your zip code, now you still have to call people and ask, hey, do you really do this? How long have you done it? You know, like any doctor or any therapist, how long have you been using this and what do you use it for? So you always want to make sure you find the person who's a good fit for you. But there are a number, a growing number of providers around the country, including the Northeast for sure that have this and the book just kind of gives you well what are some of the questions to you know kind of fills in the gaps for people but it does it pretty simply people read it pretty quick all right that's mike cohen the president of the center for brain training it's all about neurofeedback he wrote neurofeedback 101 i want to get one of those home devices and have neurofeedback brain parties i'm only half kidding thank you mike cohen Hi, it's Casey. You're listening to Shine on the Health and Happiness Show. If you are following along on the Facebook group, A Circle of Women, or at caseysplace.com, we just wrapped up a 40-day journey. You chose an intention, and I provided a little bit of positive feedback every day as we traveled the path together, and it made me realize I have a lot more work to do. But I guess it's the kind of work that's never complete, right? We travel along, get to a new place, and say, ah maybe take off in another direction or for a different mountain peak. Anyway, thanks to anybody who traveled the journey with us. I appreciate your company. 
Coming up on Mother's Day, May 8th, Let It Shine opens the market on the river. In northern Westchester, I hope to see you there. Get details at letitshineonline.com. And Let It Shine, the nonprofit that gathers love and gives it away, is moving forward with a paid internship for high school-age girls this summer. Get details for that at letitshineonline.com as well. We'll get together at a summer retreat in August at Mariondale Retreat Center. Looking forward to that. Casey'sPlace.com has more. Okay, who wants to read a good book? It is a good book, really different. Let me tell you about Sasha Rothschild, the author. She is an Emmy-nominated screenwriter who has written and produced shows like Glow, The Bold Type, The Babysitter's Club, and The Carrie Diaries. Rothschild has written for LA Weekly, Psychology Today, Los Angeles Times, Elle. She also adapted her article, How to Get Divorced by 30, into a memoir and a screenplay. Blood Sugar is her debut novel. What's the driving force behind her magic? What's the driving force behind her career? I love television, uh, and I wanted to write for television my whole life. And I love diving into really complicated characters that the audience can stay with, hopefully, season after season and love sometimes and hate sometimes but really always be very invested and that is why i love television um a a little bit more than movies which you only get two hours with the person right how did you um get i don't want to call it lucky because you're brilliantly talented but a lot of people want to be an emmy nominated screenwriter so so many how did you do it I moved to Los Angeles and uh, got a waitressing job, which I think is the first step. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just started writing and writing and writing and got an agent and got almost hired and almost hired. And I never gave up on my own voice, uh, telling stories that I was interested in. And my big break was actually an article that I wrote um, called How to Get Divorced by 30. And that article got optioned to be a feature film, and then I got hired to write that feature film. So I just stuck to stuck to my own um, my own stories and my own voice, and, and it all lined up, but it took many years. Oh, that just thrills me. It thrills me. And did you actually get divorced by 30? I did. I had a little starter marriage um, for two and a half years, and it was a very amicable divorce. Um, There were no children involved. We were young. We were very much not in love. And I ended up writing a very funny uh, memoir about the steps uh, to take in your 20s if you want to just get that first one out of the way. (laughs) That's so great. All right. Let's get this first novel out of the way. It's called Blood Sugar. She's accused of four murders. She's only guilty of three. Uh, what, what, when did this idea pop into your head? Well, uh, it has to do with my second and forever husband. Um, I remarried happily 10 years ago. Um, and my husband is a type 1 diabetic, which means he could have a low blood sugar, and it's very dangerous, and he could actually die. And there's something called dead in bed for type 1 diabetics. He has a glucose monitor. If it's low, uh, it beeps. It wakes me up, I wake him up, he eats sugar, he's safe, he's good, he's fine. But because I'm a writer and my brain is constantly creating stories, I started to think, what if he died? Well, that's just terrible. But then I started to think, would the police think I somehow murdered him because the spouse is always the first suspect? Then my brain leapt even further and thought, 
well, wouldn't it be annoying if I had murdered people, gotten away with it? Now I'm being accused of the one murder I did not commit. So that all came to me at about 3 a.m. a few years ago, uh, and I, I leaned over to my phone and I started scribbling notes, um, and, and now we have blood sugar. <laughs> I'm crying. I'm crying. This is wonderful. <laughs> uh, what does your husband think of the book? He's very proud of me, and he understands that uh, it is it is fiction, of course, and that I am a writer, uh, and I will always take moments from my life and then twist them around to create heightened moments. Um, and so he's he's very he's pleased with the book. All right, tell us about some of the characters we're going to meet in Blood Sugar. Ruby Simon is um, our anti-hero, um, and we the book is told in first person through her eyes. It, we get to know her very intimately, and from chapter one, we are with her as a five-year-old girl, and she shockingly commits her first murder. So this book starts with a big bang, so to speak, and I think um, readers will either, you know, be horrified, which is exciting, or be really curious, which is exciting, and we will understand why Ruby did what she did, um, and we'll get to know her and um, quickly realize she is sitting in a police station at 30 years old being interrogated, and as she's being interrogated, we flash back to different moments in her life. We grow up with her. We see her through her teen years, her college years, um, and she's our, she's our main girl. Beautiful. Screenwriting. Are you going back and forth now between these two things? Is there another novel coming? How are you going to maneuver the rest of the future? I would love to write another novel. This has been a really wonderful experience. Um, I also am still uh, working in television. I am um, show running a new series for Netflix. Um, right now we're shooting in Korea, actually. Um, there's these adorable, wonderful movies called To All the Boys I've loved before and we are doing a spin-off with the youngest sister um, in her time studying abroad in Korea so that is a, a new TV series that my I'm, I'm working on while I'm thinking about novel number two and while I'm talking about novel number one blood sugar all right to all the boys I've loved before a spin-off when can we see it well, hopefully, and the spinoff is called Exo Kitty, and it will be on Netflix, um, I, I hope, in the uh, spring of 2023, but we do not have an official date yet. What does Sasha Rothschild watch when she has time? Well, what I watch is reality shows, because uh, when I watch television, scripted television, really uh, elevated television I start to think, I should be writing, I should be working, <laughs> why didn't I think of that? But there's something about reality shows I can completely relax. I am hooked on The Real Housewives. I am hooked on Love is Blind. Um, I watch American Idol. So my TV viewing is, is, not, um, is not hoity-toity, so to speak. Beautiful. All right, what else do you want our listeners to know about you? I would love the listeners to pick up a copy of Blood Sugar and read it with friends, read it for a book club. I think some people will like it and some might hate it, and that's very exciting. I would love to elicit some debate and some talks about, is Ruby Simon a good person? Is she someone you'd be friends with? Can you relate to her? Or do you hate her? And I, I think that makes for the most interesting book. And also, how do you interact with your fans and now readers? 
I am on Instagram. Uh, it's uh, Sasha G Rothschild, and I'm on Twitter. It's Sasha Rothschild, and my website is SashaRothschild.com. And um, I am open to uh, to chatting with fans and communicating in um, in those ways. Finally, advice for pe- for creative types who want to write. Um, my advice is sit down and do it. Uh, I meet lots of people who tell me they have a great idea for a screenplay, um, but the, the, the hard part is sitting down and actually writing it. And so that's the first step. Just sit, sit at your desk and stare at the blank page and start typing the words. Don't you love her? Sasha Rothschild. Her novel, her debut novel, is Blood Sugar. She's accused of four murders. She's only guilty of three. If you'd like a copy of the book, send me an email. We'll pick one and send that out to you. So our thought for the day is inspired by another writer, Stephen King, who said, Amateurs sit and wait for inspiration. The rest of us just get up and go to work. Shine on. You've been listening to Shine On, the health and happiness show, with new episodes every week. It's your time to shine on. Shine on.